This message is brought to you by Living Faith Church. You can find us on the web at livingbyfaith.com. I want to speak to you this morning on something that I've titled, Encounter His Love and You'll Touch His Grace. Encounter His Love and You'll Touch His Grace. Um, I want to start off something new, and so I'm going to get into it today and follow and next week. But if you have a look at Acts chapter 9, and I'm going to start reading from verse 3. It's talking about Saul. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, What do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. When was the last time you met with God and he gave you specifics? And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was there three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street named Straight, and inquire at the house of Judas, for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he is praying. And in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. I'm going to talk a little bit about today as an introduction, um, Paul's encounter, but that's not what I want to focus on. What I want to focus on in the story is the nature and the intimate relationship that people enjoyed with God. God never said to them, go out and minister in the streets. He never said, just wander around and see what happens. He was very specific. How specific is God in your life? I don't mean it to be a bad thing. I've thought about it myself. But the reason that I I raise it is because I think it becomes very important for us because I think it's at the heart of addressing some of the biggest issues that we have as born-again believers. I don't know about you, but the one thing that is so wonderful about the Christian message is that it promises hope. It promises hope. No matter what your situation is, no matter what you're going through, no matter where you find yourself today, no matter what the reality is, what it says to you is there is hope. Hope is a wonderful thing. The problem with it is people who don't have hope find themselves in a terrible position because the problem with it is I'm dealing with the reality and there's no way out. Hope promises us a way out. Christianity is laced with hope. It's laced with promises. So many promises. The Bible is full of promises. By the stripes of Jesus, you are healed. 
My God shall supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory. You have the mind of Christ. Everything you put your hand to shall prosper. Rest in the basket, blessed in the storehouse. It's full of wonderful promises. But I don't know about you, but although I'm aware of so many of those promises, there have been times in my life where I've really struggled to walk into them. And I find that the biggest challenge with Christianity for many people is that there is such a disconnect between what they read in the Bible and what they live in their lives. And it's perplexing and it's disconcerting and it leaves us disenchanted because I'm trying to understand how God could promise me so many things and I know that he's good and I know that everything that is wonderful comes from him. But I find myself at a place where although I'm aware of so much of that stuff, my ability to actually walk into that and experience a, a, a fair degree of that is challenged. See, everybody's quiet because they're like, that might be your reality, it's not mine. <laughs> I think that's the thing. To me, that's what I want to address. And I want to talk about that because I don't like stuff like that. That's not God's intention. And so the thing about it is, the one thing about dealing with God is he's never wrong. So the, the good thing about that is if ever there's a problem, all you can do is look at yourself because <laughs> the other side's perfect. So then you start looking at ourselves and we start saying, okay, well, wh what is it about this? Why is it? I'm well-intentioned. I love God. I have an appetite for the things of God. I spend myself, my, my time studying. I get into um, listening to the, and reading the word of God. I go to church with frequency. I, I get myself and I position myself in a place where all the time I'm learning and I feel like I'm growing and I feel like I'm getting stuff, but I want to walk into it. So we find ourselves in an interesting place. Okay. Things can be true, but have no life. Things can be true, but have no life. It's really important that we look at stuff like this and it just, I, I want to look at some things and, and if it, I, I have to get back down to the grassroots and it's not pointing fingers at anyone, I'm pointing fingers at me, okay? I, I'm just kind of wading through my own life and some of the stuff that, that's there. And if the shoe fits where it, if you gain some value, if it's kind of like, okay, that doesn't suit me, it's fine, let it go. But I think the challenge with it is, for so long you look at people's lives and you see stuff that's happening in their lives and you have a look at how they've taken it and how they've appropriated the word of God and how they live by the word of God. And you, you want what they have. And so I try to understand that and I try to make it a part of my life. I try to change and, and adapt and, and move into the ways that they approach God. And I don't see it and I don't always recognize it, but in taking the principles that they use and trying to live by those same principles, I recognize that by default, even though I didn't see it, 
I became religious. We think we're not religious because we don't come from traditional backgrounds. I don't wear those labels. And so I always see myself and we see ourselves as being liberated from that stuff. We are free and we can. But the challenge with it is any time that we start to embrace a way of life and a way of living, any time we, we, we embrace a principle, even truth, when there's no life attached to it, all we're really doing is we're becoming religious. I'm going to get a little bit closer to the bone. There are some things that are right. There are some things that inherently are truthful. The problem with it is, unless we put them in the correct context, they end up being religious. So if you want to realize the blessings of God, here's a formula. We don't say it, but it is. You go to the word of God and you find your blessing. And when you find your blessing, you take your blessing. And what you do is you start to confess your blessing. And then you tell your circumstance what it needs to do. It's all right. It all has context. And it, at the root of everything, it's correct. The problem with it is it could be truthful, but unless there's life in it, nothing happens. I'm frustrated because I'm living by truth, but I don't see life. Life is what changes everything. Life is what's, what gets into the very heart of things. Life is about transformation. Life is about newness. Up until that point, all I really have is a great formula. And it may be right. And it may fundamentally have some value to it. But outside of context and outside of relationship, it's nothing but religion. Unless he is at the center of everything. All I have is works. They may be well-intentioned and they may be really good, but you know what? It leads to nothing but frustration. And I get disgruntled with the Christian walk because it's not supposed to be like this. They that worship me must worship me in spirit and in truth. Do you know what he's saying? He's saying you can grab a hold of truth and you can try to fit truth into your life. But unless you have spirit together with it, all you have is dead works. When you worship me and you see value and worth in the invitation that I extend to you, the requirement is not only that we embrace truth, but that we embrace life. The two go hand in hand, spirit and truth. John chapter 15, verse 5. Jesus is busy and he's talking. And he's talking to them about the vitality of the Christian experience. He's talking to them about the vine and the branches. And he's talking to them about the fact that the vine has the life on the inside of it. And what he was saying was, everything comes from the life in the vine. And if you want to participate in the life, you need to be a branch that's linked into the vine. He wasn't as concerned about anything else that goes with the vine. He didn't speak about the fruit or the, he didn't talk about that stuff. He gets into that. But the point of it is what he's saying is the focus of my attention and what I really want you to see is that point of engrafting. 
I want you to live from that place where the vine and the branch come together. Because in that space, what ends up happening is life moves from one to the other. We look at that and it's true and it's, 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 it's so worthwhile and it's, it's fundamental to what we do as Christians because it puts us at a place where we begin to recognize that the focus of everything in what we do is life, not form. And if anything takes us away from life, we end up in a compromised place. But he says something very interesting in that context. He goes on to, sit, to say, and it's a phrase that we kind of pass over with regularity because we're focusing on life and grafting and vines and branches and fruits and all kinds of other stuff. But he makes one little phrase. There's one little phrase in there that he says, which is so important. And it's this. Without me, you can do nothing. Never lose the person. Never lose the person. Without me, you can do nothing. What he was saying was, you can live by truth, but without me, you can do nothing. You can have truth all you want, but the whole purpose of truth is to lead you back to me. I am the way. I am the truth. And I will give you the life. It all is in him. It's all wrapped up in him. If we lose the person, we lose the life. And if you lose the life, you lose the power. And then all we're left with is form and religion. And we think that we're not. We think that we're so liberated because we don't use hymn books. We think that we're so great because we can jump around and shout in church and we can dance and do all those other things. But it's irrelevant because we've lost the person. When we lose Christ, nothing happens. And so in moving forward, one thing I'm beginning to realize more and more is we can be well-intentioned and we can be focused on doing really great things. But what becomes so consequential to us is realizing that the invitation he perpetually extends to us is one of relationship. Come unto me. Come unto me. He didn't mean that in some figurative sense. Well, you know, just read my word. He did, he's not talking about that. He means it quite literally. Come to me. When he was talking about, without me you can do nothing, what he was saying was, any time we start moving through our Christian experience and he is not an integral part of the mix, it doesn't work. Come unto me, all he that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He means it. Quite literally. He's saying, come to me. He didn't say, I'll tell you what, you go and read the Bible. You get a few verses and you quote them with good belief and stuff will happen. He didn't say that. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will do some stuff for you that you're not going to get in any other context. It's all about him. He's inviting us and calling us back to who he is. He that dwells in the secret place. What is the secret place? The secret, I'm going to speak about this next week. The secret place is where you will discover the presence. 
The secret place is where the, where the presence is resident. And the invitation into the secret place is to come to that place of communion and intimacy and connection with the presence. I'm inviting you to come and meet with me. He that dwells in that place where the presence is and communes with the presence shall abide under my shadow. And you will be able to say of me, he is my refuge and my strength. Don't lose sight of who he is. The invitation is always to go back to him. Every promise is telling us something about who he is. But ultimately, it's an invitation to sit and say, if you want to see the life that's in this, come to me. Come to me. There's something so incredible about dynamite. Dynamite makes stuff happen. We live close, we don't know, we don't, we live relatively close to a quarry. And so it's funny, but on cloudy days, because everything's covered over, when they blast, you can hear it. It's like, it's dynamite with action. It's very important for us to get to a place where we spend time in the word of God. And I don't want you to leave here thinking that I'm against the word of God. I'm not. I'm a very big proponent of the word of God. But what I will tell you is this. The word of God is like dynamite. It carries with it the ability to bring about change and transformation. It, brings about, it, it carries with it the ability to make changes in situations that are really difficult for you to do in your own power. The point about it is this. Dynamite is absolutely useless without a spark. You can have all the dynamite you like. You have no spark, nothing happens. What God is saying to us is this. You should count yourself so blessed. Because I've given you something called the word of God. I've given you something called dynamite. It's designed to bring about change and transformation. I'm trying to give you a context for the things that I'm wanting to do. But I need for you to understand that anytime you embrace the written word, what you're doing is you're getting a mental picture of possibilities. The invitation is always to embrace that which is spiritual. Because it's in the context of embracing the spiritual is where you'll find the spark of life. You don't find the spark of life outside of that. The flesh profits nothing. The spirit gives life. Anytime we take the word of God and we read the word of God, the demons, it says demons know the word of God better than you do. No, it doesn't. It does. And they can quote it and they can probably give you the scripture reference as well. Why doesn't it work? Because it feeds the flesh. It feeds the knowledge. Life is not in the knowledge. Life is in the spirit. What he's saying is, I'm trying to give you an idea about who I am. I'm trying to give you a context for me. I'm trying for, to, to give you a place so that in the circumstances and the situations in which you find yourself today, you won't run off and do your own thing. Come to me. Because when you come to me, you meet with spirit. Yeah. 
And when you meet with spirit, you'll experience life. It's life that brings about change in me. It's life that brings about change in my circumstances and situations. I got to have life. One of the things that defines God and probably his probably strongest attribute is the fact that he's a God of love. And the invitation he extends to us is, I want you to experience my love for you. Now here's a little bit of a twister. You do understand that love can be truth, but have no life. I know he loves me, but it's not alive in me. I know it. I can tell you everything about it. I will tell you about God's love for me. I'll tell you about Jesus who came and paid the price for me. I'll tell you about everything that has to do with God's love and his expressions of love and what he's provided for me. It's truth, but has got life. Let me give you a context. During the world wars, it was a challenge because those wars went on for so long that they ended up with men having to go off to war. And they didn't go off just for a few weeks or a few months. Some of them went off for years. And they would come back at the end of years of fighting. And what happened is some of those men went off. And when they left their wife, they left their wife with a baby. And they were gone and they were off at war. And in their absence, as a good mother, what she did is she raised that baby to know about his father or her father. I want you to know who he is. And so she would tell him or her about the father. And she would give information and she would say, that is your dad. This is what he's all about. This is what he used to do. This is what filled his life. This is who your dad is. It gave that child context. For father. When dad came home, the child recognized dad and knew who dad was. And although dad even carried a label called my father, the thing is, the child's relationship was rooted in what they knew about the, their father, not in the life and the love of the Father. I know who you are, and I know what title you carry, but you don't have the same place in my life. Why? Because love, I would propose to you, is celebrated and experienced in the context of something called proximity. Nearness. Closeness. When you've been absent, even though you are my dad, you hold a very different place in my life as opposed to dad who puts me to bed and reads bedtime stories to me, tucks me in and says, I love you. You hold a very different place to a father who every time I have a problem or a challenge, I can go to them and they make input into my life. Let me tell you about this. What about that? Let me tell you about your abilities and your skill and let me tell you about what, and I'm affirming the child all the time. 
There's a difference between when they hurt themselves and you can go out there and you can pick them up and you can take care of them and you can love them and you can express your love for them. In that context, what ends up happening is it changes because it's not just I have an idea about the fact that you love me. It's not just because I know that you may love me. It's because I've encountered it. And in that place, it changes and it affects things like trust. Intimacy, transparency, and it's the same with God. Sometimes we have God, and even though he wears the label Father, we know a lot about him, but we really don't have an experience of his love. The invitation he always extends to us is, come and experience who I am. The point is, if we want to experience his love, we experience his love in the context of relationship, how we relate to one another. Relationship is all about closeness. It's all about intimacy. It's all about nearness. It's coming to that place where there is influence in my life. The invitation is to the secret place and to meet him in the secret place. Because in that space is where we get close to him and where we encounter him. All of us are going to walk the soul road to some degree. It's not a bad thing. It just is what it is. Saul knew a lot about God. <laughs> probably more than most people. He studied it. He knew it. He understood God in an incredible way. He was elevated. He was esteemed within the church because of his knowledge. He had truth, but he had no life. He had truth, but he had no life. And he didn't even know it. And he found himself at a place where... He's persecuting Christians, killing them. I thought about that. You know why that is? Because when we don't live from the life of Christ, we live from religion. And the challenge with it is this. When I live from religion, what religion does is it says to me, this is what God's plan is for life. And rather than living from grace, which is embracing who he is and allowing Christ to do things in my life, I assume the responsibility for that. And so I start to do some things in my life. I should be knowledgeable. I should read the Bible. I should know those scriptures. I need to live a wholesome, upright life. I live, you, none of these are inherently bad, except you're doing them by yourself. There's no life. I got truth. And truth has introduced me to form. But form has got no life. And this is the danger. And this is where the persecution comes from. I did it. It's the pride of life. Check me. 
Do you know how much time I've dedicated? How many years of study? Look at me, how knowledgeable about I am, how esteemed I am. Look at my life. And you know what the problem is? When you get to that place, you're just overwhelmed by how fabulous you are. <laughs> and in that context, it becomes unfair. How is it that you who never worked as hard as I did, who's not as esteemed, who doesn't have the same titles or labels as I do. How come you are experiencing the benefits and the goodness of grace? Because you don't deserve it. You didn't work as hard as me. That's why religious people hate grace. Because grace isn't fair. Grace isn't based on what you do. Grace is based on my recognition of the fact that I can do nothing. But if I can just get myself to the place where I can connect with him, things will happen. Things will happen. Not that I deserve it. Just because he loves me. But they start to happen in my life because I have an appetite for proximity. I want to get close. The challenge with religion is this. One of the challenges is that in religion, Christ and grace get lost. In religion, I'm so busy trying to do the right thing and work hard for who he is. The problem with it is Christ, the source of life, and grace, the channel of life, are lost. And so what ends up happening is I live by form and not by life. And it's horrible because it's so dry and so powerless. He didn't invite us to that. He doesn't want that for us. He's calling us into fullness of life. So Saul is traveling along, and he's a good religious man. And as a good religious man, he suddenly has something profound happen to him. He encounters Christ. He encounters Christ. In that moment, he had a revelation. And this was it. The written word is never a substitute for the living word. In that space, he came face to face with the reality that I've spent all of my life studying and working and understanding and going to seminars and listening to podcasts and doing all of these kinds of things because I wanted to know all of this stuff. I wanted to understand all of this stuff. But in the context of understanding, in the context of gaining truth, I did it at the expense of connecting with life. And on his journey, he comes to a place where he connects with life. <coughs> and in that space, everything changed. John chapter 15. Sorry, 5 verse 39. says, you search the scriptures for in them you think you have... Um, 
eternal life. Um, and these are they which testify of me. Yet you do not come to me that you may have life. Do you know what he's saying? In pursuit of truth, you've lost life. The written word is there and the written word is great and the written word is perfect as long as it leads you to the living word. Because if it doesn't, you're going to find yourself in trouble. Because he says the letter kills. The spirit gives life. Unless we understand that the written word is a roadmap to the living word, what happens is we stop our journey. And when we stop our journey at the written word, what ends up happening is we're introduced to form and religion. And we work really hard at stuff. The invitation is always to go beyond and to understand until I come to that place where I encounter truth. It's when I get to that point where all of a sudden something comes to life. The woman with the issue of blood. She heard about Jesus. She believed that she could be healed. But if she had lived with that, she would have continued as she was. It was because the truth that she heard affected her belief and brought her to a place where she said, if I could just touch the hem of his garment, if I can connect with presence, all of a sudden truth will be given life. What is he telling you today? The word of God should excite you because it's going to give you hope. But the just are not called to live by hope. The just are called to live by faith. Hope says there is an answer. Hope says God can do some stuff in your situation. Hope says, you know what? Never mind anything else. I want you to come to this place where you search for and you look for life. We only find life with him. Outside of him, we never find life. All we left with is hope. I'll speak more about that next week. If you had a business and you had an opening, you had a vacancy, you had a need in your business. So you decided what you're going to do is you're going to employ somebody to come and fill that need. So you put it out there and what ends up happening is some people arrive and they say, fine, I'm interested in that job. What's the first thing they do? They send you a? See, it's three of you are listening. They send you a resume. Why is a resume important? Because a resume gives me a synopsis of the person. I can take the resume and from reading the resume, it's going to give me an understanding a little bit about the character of the person. It's going to be, it's going to give me an understanding about the deliverables. It'll give me a glimpse into what their, their um, history is and what kind of skill sets do they have. It's going to give me an overview and an understanding of the individual. But you know what? The resume changes nothing. The resume sets it up and sits and says, would you like to meet the person? It's the resume that leads to an introduction. But it's the person who steps into that role that brings about change. The word of God is a resume for God. 
It speaks to you about who he is. It speaks about how wonderful he is. It speaks about his character and his nature. It speaks about how he's walked in the lives of so many people. It tells us about God's influence in circumstances and situations that, seem, that make yours seem trivial. Why? It's a resume to sit and say, invite the person in. Because when you meet with the person, change happens. Up until that point, you just have a resume. Paul met with Jesus. And when he met with Jesus, he came to the awareness that everything that he had committed his life to was rubbish. How's that a shock? I don't know how old he was. He committed his whole life to something and he looked back on it. Philippians 3 verse 8. Actually, just read it. Yet indeed, I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. Something will happen when you have an encounter. Something will happen because when you touch a life, everything else seems immaterial and redundant. He looked at it and he was like, I've studied God all of my life. What a load of rubbish. Outside of meeting him, it meant nothing. It was cold and it was information. Yes, it was truth, but it had no life. He sat in that context and in that place he said, I'm never going back to where I was. Everything that I thought, stop thinking. We think we know what God wants. We think we know what we should do. We think too much rather than just sitting and asking. He looked at it and he said, what a waste of my time. I spent my whole life getting truth, but I'm making a commitment. From this point on, I'm not living on the trash dump. From this point on, I'm pursuing Christ to know him. What he was saying was this, I've understood, I've had an encounter with life, but I'm not going to leave the encounter as simply an encounter. There's more to this. I want to live my life from a place where I live from connection with Christ. That's what he was in pursuit of. He was sitting saying, if I, can, if I can get myself to a place where I can live in intimacy, where I can live from connection, where I can live from nearness with him, what will end up happening is I'll live in the context of life. And life changes everything. You know what he did right after this? He went off into the Arabian desert for two years. You know, it's in the desert, right? <laughs> Nothing. You know what he said? I'm not taking the book of the month. I'm not going to the next seminar. Nothing's wrong with any of these things unless I'm at least grounded in relationship. 
What he was saying was, in going forward in my life, I've had an encounter, but now I want to live from connection. I've seen how an encounter changes truth and brings it to life. It's in that space where I can't get peace, although I know that it's supposed to be true. The problem with it is, when I take that into the context of life, that's when I start to feel it. Joy in his presence is fullness of where is it? In his presence. Come unto me. He's not being figurative. He's being literal. You want to experience joy? Joy is nothing more than a truth unless it's ignited by life. We live from a place where we're anxious and we're worrying. Hello. <laughs> What is I saying? We live from a place of anxious, of being anxious and worrying. And the thing about it is the invitation is always to move into that place where you know that he's in control of everything. It might be truth, but it has no life until you're living from connection. It changes everything. The invitation is to live from that space. Paul said, until I get to that place where I'm able to connect with him and I live from life, I don't want to get any more truth. Because in the context of this being my foundation, it changes all truth. Who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament? Why? Because he lived from life. And in the context of life, any kind of truth that came, is, came in was assimilated in that context. It wasn't just an idea. It wasn't a theory. It wasn't the doctrine of the month. It became something which influenced who he was and transformed who he was. It became a reality that he walked into. It became something that he experienced, not because he did it, because he went to life and he said, give it ignition. He is alive. Three words. He is alive. That's what the angel said. We know it because the tomb was empty. People spotted him afterwards. He is alive. Why is that important? Because you know everybody else who claims to be God is dead. And the problem with being dead is you may have some truth, but you've got no life. What he said was, I'm alive. What he said was, I'm not only going to give you truth, but I'm going to be the one who ignites it. When the Holy Spirit does work in your life because you had an encounter and you got to the place where you said, Jesus, I accept you as Lord and Savior of my life. Do you know what happened in that space? The Holy Spirit came in and he not only cleaned you up and got rid of all of that stuff and made you brand new. You know what he was doing? He was preparing a space for you to become a temple. He was making space in you so that the habitation that Christ could, would take up would be something that, he could, that could accommodate him. You were des designed to be a temple. If you're born again, the life of God dwells on the inside of you. He that dwelleth in the secret place. 
There is a place on the inside of us where God is calling for us to connect. There is a place on the inside of us where Christ is saying, come unto me, all ye that labor. There's a place on the inside of us where God is sitting saying, when you bring truth into that context, things will happen. When I begin to understand, when I begin to move to that place where I connect with who he is, transformation happens in me. But I begin to live from a new place. Because from that space, I begin to hear his voice. It's in that space and in that context where all of a sudden, what I hoped for becomes faith. There's a difference between sitting saying, you know what, God, I believe in healing and meeting for, with him in the secret place where he speaks to you and he says, by my stripes, you are healed. Until you meet with him in that place, you haven't got faith, you've got hope. It's not designed as a criticism. Please don't take it that way. I told you I was talking to me. I'm just making you privy to my own thoughts. In moving forward, it becomes so important for us to get to the place where we separate ourselves and become aware of the fact that the greater one lives in me. And he has set aside a place on the inside of us where there is the perpetual invitation to come and meet with me. Truth outside of relationship is going to introduce us to form. And form is really just another expression of religion. Life is what brings about transformation. Life is what will change us. Life is what will change your situations. I'm going to speak next week about meeting in the secret place and how that affects us and changes us. I'm gonna speak next week about the secret place and why that's so important, because Christ can do some things that you can't do. I end up in presumption too often because I run around all over the place calling this, that, and the next thing in Jesus' name. And I'm surprised it doesn't happen, but I've never been with him to find out what he wants. Father, I just want to thank you for every person here. Man, I want to thank you, Father, for the incredible promise that you've given us, that you will be with us, that you'll never leave us, that you'll never forsake us. I want to thank you for your life that is resident on the inside of who we are. As we begin to set, that, set aside time, Holy Spirit, to begin to explore that place, and to get ourselves grounded and rooted in relationship with you. I thank you that from that inner place, from that, that center sanctuary, comes life, vibrancy, vitality, direction. I thank you that you don't have promises for us. You are the promise to us. Everything that we need, you are the fulfillment of. And that's why whenever we bring a promise to you, you're the one who can fulfill it. You're the one who can give it life.
Holy Spirit, I ask for encounters this week. Encounters for people. No intellectual gymnastics, but spiritual encounters. People are looking for an awareness of the reality of the Spirit. I thank you that you've promised us seek and you shall find. Knock and the door will be open to you. And as we pursue that, I just ask you, Holy Spirit, to meet us and bring about transformation and an awareness in a profound way. I thank you that you are life. And that any time we come to you, that life affects, touches, transforms, changes. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.